But unless you want to be better and understand what it takes and are willing to do what it takes versus make an excuse, well, you know, I didn't have time to train. I had a test or I just, you know, there's always reasons why you can't do something. Look in the dugout and you see those kids who aren't necessarily playing in the game, but they have a role. Maybe they're the bullpen catcher. Maybe they're the, the third pitcher in line of the day. Maybe they are a pinch runner or maybe they're a practice player. And they're in that dugout going, they're, they're playing every pitch. They play every pitch. It's not just about cheering and doing funny things with props. It's about playing every pitch. Like the coaches, we play every pitch. Those are the best teams. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Eggle. Very excited for today's interview. Let's see if you can guess who our guest is. Probably by the second announcement, you should know who we're talking about here. But if you don't, that's okay. No worries. But here we go. She played shortstop at Michigan State. She's spent 40 years coaching at Michigan. Is the winningest coach in NCAA D1 softball history, claimed this past season led Michigan to its first NCAA championship in 2005. She also spent that time coaching USA softball. She has 22 Big Ten regular season titles, 10 Big Ten tournament titles. She's in the NFCA Hall of Fame as of 2006. She has 18 Big Ten Coach of the Year titles, nine NFCA Regional Coach of the Year titles, and is a two-time NFCA National Coach of the Year. Any guesses? Coach Carol Hutchins, of course, is in the building today. So excited for this interview. She spent this past season coaching my little sister, Christina, which we go into a little bit in this interview. I'm also excited to share the patterns as to why she's been so successful. And let me just tell you off the bat, she's one of the most humble humans you'll ever meet in your entire life. Did I also mention, actually didn't mention this one, if Wikipedia is correct, She's had 1,707 wins, only 540 losses, and five ties. That's a pretty crazy record, friends. Pretty crazy. I'm so excited to have her here, and I know you are excited too. In this episode, we're going to talk about many things. And to be completely honest, this is part one of two, simply because we go into two completely different topics. Next week, you guys are going to get a little insight on... Title IX, which I'm really excited about. But this week, you can look forward to these few topics. And when I mean few, it's actually a lot of topics. Her biggest mentors in the game, you're going to learn who they are, how much the game has grown since she first started playing it, which is where she gets a little into Title IX, 
how much Michigan has been able to adapt to the changes. That is where, you know, Michigan softball has been so dominant throughout this entire existence, strictly because they're very good at adapting. So she shares a little bit there. Why she invests so much into her alumni, which she believes is a huge reason why Michigan softball is where it is. How she's able to empower athletes to reach their potential. And also on top of that, build an incredible culture. Her story of meeting Joe Madden. This is an epic story. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. How she would change the game if she could. And that's honestly just a taste of what you're going to get today. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off, Coach Carol Hutchins. Or how most of you know her, Hutch. Hutch, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Just enjoying the, you know, summer best I can. Living life, recruiting like crazy, golfing your face off, it sounds like. Living your best life. Well, you know, it is the best time of the year when you can uh, enjoy summer in Michigan. It's the greatest season of all. And, you know, taking time to do the things you like to do. So I'm, I'm trying to enjoy that. Good for you. Good for you. All right. I need to get into why coaching for you. Like, why did you want to coach? I, I don't even know how many years you've been coaching, but it's a long, it's a lot of years. Like, what, what brought you to that? Because where you've come is insane. Well, this I just finished my 40th year at Michigan, my 38th as a head coach. And before that, I coached for a year at, uh, well, a year at Michigan State. I was like the student assistant. My fifth year, I had to finish school. I uh, went from there to Indiana as a grad student and a grad uh, assistant for a year. And then I went to Ferris State College for a year. I was the interim head coach. The head coach was pregnant and had her baby in March. And the SWA was a friend of mine from college who I'd played basketball with. And she called me up, said, Hachi, you need a job. I said, I do need a job. And uh, she brought me up there to Ferris, which is uh, in a couple uh, hours north of Lansing. It's now a Division two school. She uh, offered me, uh, I can't remember if I made $500 or 1000 I think I made $500 for a semester. And she took me over to the house that she rented and she showed me the living room and said, here, you can sleep here. And I slept on the living room floor for six months. Well, I, that was my job. And we did really well. We made it almost all the way to the national finals. And uh, I had a really good team. I mean, they were loaded. They had some D1 level players. My why was pretty simple, as we'll, I know we'll discuss Title IX. And I, I grew up as a, a tomboy that played every sport, but I didn't get to play organized sport in general. We didn't have it. I ended up being a cheerleader for my brothers who played organized sports. And I used to go to their games and you know, I played out in the parking lot and in the sand lot and you know we played basketball and hockey in the winter and I played with all the boys and but I got to be in junior high and in high school and we did there was nothing for us to do so we had kind of like girls activities which were like stay after school and get to play and sometimes we would go to sometimes we would go across town and play the other teams in, in Lansing and you know, basketball was my first love, and our basketball coach was Ann Johnson. And Ann is my first role model mentor, and she is the reason why I wanted to be a coach because the impact she had on me was ginormous. And she um, treated me like, you want to be an athlete, then you need to do better. You, you need better in school. She pushed me. She believed in me. She was 
the person I wanted to be to, to young women. And then I, I started playing summer softball with a very competitive women's team. We didn't have youth softball. We didn't have 12 and under, 14 and under, 16 and under. We had women's ball. It was travel ball. It was literally considered semi-professional. I don't know why. I didn't. We, we got our expenses paid for. But we traveled the country, played 80 games a summer. And the Lansing Laurels, I was 16 when I got on the team. And it was with women that were in their 20s, women's in their 30s. And the head coach and the manager was Kay Purvis, who, when I first met her, was 49 years old. And she was still catching. Wow. And I was playing for a number of years with them. And Kay was my next role model mentor who, again, used to take me by the ears and, you know, make me a better player, but really made me a better person, made me accountable, maybe understand the how athletics fits into the big picture of life. And uh, those two women, I was fortunate I had women role models who uh, impacted me greatly. Then I, I got a chance to go to college. And by then we did have sports for women. We weren't totally varsity, but in a transition period before the NCAA, NCAA adopted us in 1982. But man, I got to play basketball, wear a uniform, travel the country, although we traveled in um, cars. Our coaches used to drive us in cars. Meanwhile, the boys had buses and planes and so forth. But we were excited because we were varsity athletes and uh, represented our school, which my school was not Michigan, but it it was another school in Michigan. (laughs) And you know, I played softball. In my freshman year, we were the AIW, which was the women's version of the NCAA. We won the national championship. We bust to Omaha, Dill Field, and we played in the national championships. We were 5-0. and Our pitcher was Gloria Bexford, the greatest Spartan ever to this day. And uh, we won the whole thing. And that national championship meant every bit as much to me as the one I, we won over here in 05. And you know, that was what we had available to us. And uh, so I knew at that point I wanted to stay in college. And you talk about being in college for a while, like your sister. I, I've been in college my whole life. I mean, I went to college at the age of 18, and I have never left college, not for <laughs> one minute. So I, my mom used to tease me, when are you going to get a real job? And I said, well, why would you ever leave college, mom? You know, so I'm a advocate that being in college is uh, and should be the greatest experience of your life. And it's been for me and it's been for many of the women who I hope who come here and enjoy the opportunities that they have. That's amazing. I will say college were some of the best years of my life too, for all the reasons. Find your independence, you're challenged like crazy. I remember leaving college saying, How the H E double hockey sticks did I just do that? Like how did how am I alive? Because of how tough the training was, how tough it was to play so many games in a year. And, you know, the first week of weights, not being able to walk upstairs, like, why do I do this to myself, right? Um, but it's it's for the love of the game. And you have stuck around for so many of athletes who look up to you and are now coaching. It's got to be a cool feeling when you see your own kids go off and coach. Oh, it's the highlight of my, um, I call it the reward of being a coach is, is your alumni. You mm-hmm. know, you watch your help them grow up. You go through a lot of growing pains with them. It's not all roses. And then you see them as adults and what they're doing in their life, whether they're mothers and their children and their careers. And many of them have chosen to go into coaching and coach at the college level, been very successful. And, you know, yeah, I beam with pride like a mom, but uh, I think um, those are the same kids that helped make me, uh, you know, the successful coach that, that 
we've been able to be here at Michigan because these are the kids and uh, watching them grow into young women and now strong, powerful women is really what we do for a living. I've said it all along. We are here to empower and to grow up young girls who have great potential and help them reach their potential mm-hmm. and reach their, so many of them have. So it, it does make me, uh, it's the reward of what we do. This is why I knew you'd be the perfect guest because we have a very similar vision in different fields. But I actually had one of your alumni. I asked, I asked this alumni, if you could ask Hutch any question, what would it be? And it has a lot to do with what you just said. And she asked, what is the secret to empowering a group that you're a leader of? It's hard, but Hutch is so good at it. Well, it's hard to empower them. The thing is, because the, I don't empower them, I don't give you uh, power. I can't, if I get handed to you in a pill, that would be great. Let's do that. It, we create the heart. We hold them to standards that they don't realize they have. Doing the heart is what makes you. That's the name of the game. And we create situations for them where, you know, this isn't about you. This is about Michigan. And all the standards that we ask you to meet are to help make Michigan great. And I believe that's the concept of a, of a team that you are here to make something great. When you go work in a company, in an organization, whatever you do in your life, you are paid to make that organization great in whatever the endeavors are, whether it's making lots of money for the company, buying businesses, you know, I don't know what they do in corporations really, but uh, (laughs) part of something. And when they learn those qualities, you have to go through the experiences. You don't just know them. How could you know them if you never came from that? I mean, if you grew up in a family, most people have a family, but I grew up with six kids in in our family. And I always say my mom created the original gender equity because there were three boys and three girls. And she treated us all like we were her favorite. She gave us all the same number of Christmas presents. And she she treated us all the same, you know? And um, I really believe that uh, the empowerment comes with doing the hard and we're here to push you through it and help you realize what you can really accomplish. And we've seen kids go from never playing to starting and becoming all Big Ten, all American. And watching them, it's just like a blossom, a boom. And they realize. And then they can look back and say, wow, this is how it happened. This is what I've done. And watching uh, my most re- recent graduates going out into the working world. And, you know, I said, I can't wait for you to call me and tell me your experiences. Because you're so well prepared. You know, I had a, one of my graduates called me. She had just, um, she'd taken the bar, went to law school. And she had, she called me. She said, I just litigated my first case. Mm. I said, how, how'd it go? Well, she said, going in front of the judge. I said, it was nothing like walking to, into your office when you called me in. <laughs> I just had to laugh. But um, doing the hard is what makes you. Uh, convincing kids to do the hard is, is the hard part. That's so amazing. And I know through, you know, my own family's experience, Christina knew there was another level in her. And so a big reason why she chose to transfer and she learned so much at her previous school, but she knew that she'd be able to get more out of herself by playing under you. And I know that was a big thing for her. So I just love that. That's like a foundation. Now, how do you manage athletes? Cause every athlete's different. Every athlete has different needs. They react differently to how you coach. 
And I know you, you want to coach everybody the same, but how do you deal with athletes who are much different than each other? Well, it is, um, it's a process, you know, for coaches, you know, the, the most important thing is getting to know them and it takes a while. It takes a while, you know, either freshman year there, we're just trying to get them all on board, but this is how things run. You know, they're like little puppies and you got to corral them in their little like box. And, <laughs> but as you know them, you hopefully create relationships with, with all the kids. And, uh, I think it's natural. I certainly have better relationships with some of my players than others. A lot of it is, you know, I, I definitely do well with kids who are outgoing and, and want to have a relationship. And I don't do as well with kids who, you know, don't do adults, you know. So, but recognizing that and what can we do to help them. But also there's a standard line that we still have to create for everybody. That's how you treat everybody the same. You all have to meet the same standards. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, the best thing we do is, when we get to chances to work with, I talk about, we like to bring them into hit early and on their own and in small groups because it's the best chance to visit with them and be alone with them and, and not have other distractions of the whole team and running the whole practice. But really getting to know them, knowing their families, knowing their dogs. I think those are important things, knowing their significant others. I mean, that's important to me. I like to, uh, every now and then I meet a new uh, significant other. I'm like, How, hey, why don't you bring uh, that person into my office and we should visit, you know? <laughs> So uh, it's all exciting, and I've had a few kids laugh about it, but it's all good. You got to, you got you to, you know, they're people. We're all people. You know, the coaches are people too. So it's a people business. Yeah. And, and frankly, I think even the travel ball world and youth athletes, I think the people business is kind of like swaying away from the game, which is really bothering me because I work with a lot of youth athletes. So what type of questions, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about like getting to know their parents and their dogs, but like what other questions are you asking your kids to make sure they're people first? Like what are the things that, you know, coaches that are looking to build relationships with their players should do maybe a bit more of? Well, and I think I should do a bit more of it really. Um, but, you know, school, like they're really, it's, they're immersed in their school. It's a very challenging environment for them and you need to stay in touch with that and, and, um, talk to them about what they do today and I, I have one of my freshmen this year I found out was a foodie big time foodie and she I'd ask her almost every time every day if I see her right for practice what'd you have for lunch today and she'd show me a picture and she started taking pictures of all and she'd eat like four entrees you know she she could put it away and uh you know just figure out what 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 they're about and, you know a lot of kids are very they get homesick they you ask about their families and um try to engage them you, you know, the key is to engage them and uh, try to know what their interests are. And uh, I, I like to mill downstairs through the training room area and where they come in before practice so I can visit with them in that setting, which is uh, less of a, a power setting than when I say, hey, come up to my office and chat. You know, I don't mm-hmm. like to start meetings as much. I have student athletes from 10, 20 years ago who still reminisce. And uh, when I used to call them from the office line and, you know, the office phone number, everybody and they're like, I'm just calling. And you see, I was calling, come on in. I wanted to talk about something. Occasionally, it was because they needed to um, maybe straighten up. But uh, in general, I, I like to mingle around and ask about their little sister or just the things that I know are going on in their life. And, and then I often dumbfounded there are things going on I didn't know about. I'm like, how do we miss that? And as a coach, you know, yeah, we, we definitely have been spread really thin with all the things that we do. 
you know, all of the technology is just so great to its point, but it can consume you and you're too caught up in their technology versus coaching with a, just your feel. And, uh, you know, those are areas that continually are, we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I mean, the game is evolving every five seconds. Like there's always some new tool or technology that's growing it. But one thing that I have admired through you just getting to know you in this past year is simply, you know, how much you are still willing to learn. And I feel like that's why your program has had continued success was because you are still asking questions. You know, how do you think the game has grown from when you started coaching to now? I'm sure it's an overwhelming thing with it always changing, but how have you seen it grow? Gosh, it, it starts with the um, the ability for us to teach at such a higher level. I mean, it is so advanced what we know, whether it comes to hitting technology and pitching technology, and not just technology, but there's so many great teachers in the game, and so many have been willing. And every year we listen to speakers who have this information. You're like, wow, it blows you away. And, you know, you spent at my age, you spend a lot of time feeling really overwhelmed with all of it. Like, wow, this is, there's so much. And I mean, we didn't have radar guns and we didn't have flight scope and exit velocity. And I mean, we had like four bats. They were aluminum. We'd have four helmets. We get bases loaded. And then, um, you know, we'd have to make sure we get a helmet on the next hitter. And, you know, we didn't have fans and, now we play in front of season ticket holders and giant stadiums and it's grown in every possible way. And it is the greatest game. I, I believe we rival any women's sport when it comes to viewership, when it comes to interest. And um, really, it's a fan favorite. And in, in Ann Arbor, it's a fan favorite, as you know. Uh, we are, without a doubt, one of the highlights in, in Ann Arbor. And it's a lot to do with the, the continuity of the program, the success of the program and you know, the success of the program has everything to do with, you know, my staff. So, uh, but um, it's grown leaps and bounds, even in the last, you know, five years, I see it's going to new heights, new levels, selling out Oklahoma city. Why didn't they build 20,000 seats? Like they have it a merit trade. Merit trade's not full. Mm-hmm. They're 20,000 seats, but they're not packed. And we have 10,000 people and people can't get tickets to the women's college world series. So why don't we build 20,000 seats? And um, I, I guarantee you we'd fill it. I agree too. I love that you shared from the beginning when it was just simple. You had a couple bats, you were in a couple helmets and you just kind of played. Do you kind of miss the simplicity of all of it though? Because I feel like the best softball that's played is when it's simple. Like it's just a game, right? But I think with technology, sometimes that heightens anxiety and around, okay, stats and you know, what's my velocity? What's my speed of my barrel through the zone? Like, there's just so much that, like, how are you able to keep it simple at the same time? Well, I, I don't know that I always have. I think I, along with anybody else, have gotten caught up in some of this the technology. I mean, the kids come to us. They, they're they ingrained with Rapsodos and, and flight scopes and exit velocities. And um, they're training. And they all have their own hitting coaches or their own pitching coaches. And, and, and that it doesn't keep anything simple. Because if I, I mean, my verbiage and language, as you know, is going to be different than yours. We might be teaching the exact same thing, but we don't teach it exactly the same mm-hmm. and um, how we go about our business. So it is harder to keep simple because it is not as simple as it used to be. It used to be we hit the ball hard. We could tell who was hit hard if it was a line drive and got through the 56 hole or went over the fence and it's a pop up. I'm like, you didn't hit it hard. I mean, sometimes you go back to that. Like, do you feel like you're hitting it hard? No. Good. Because you're not. It's easy. 
I became a big Joe Madden fan back when the Cubs made their big run and mm-hmm. watching him. I like his style and started reading, read the Cubs way, which is fabulous. I don't know if you've ever read it, but, um, and they were going to be in Detroit. So I got a hold of, of course, no people. And I said, I really want a field pass, but I'm going to, I'll be transparent. I want to meet Joe Madden. <laughs> yeah. They didn't just make it happen. I go walking down on that field took a couple of our big donors and uh, my assistant, Bonnie, and I had my Cubs way book and I sat in the dugout with him for a good 40 minutes. And he talked to me like I was every bit his colleague. I mean, he didn't talk down to me. He was talking all sorts of things. And then he says, come on, let's go up to the cage. And I got to walk on the field during batting practice, which nobody ever gets to go big Bertha and sit there and get to watch how they had retooled Chris Bryant's strength. And I said, mm. wow, his, it looks a lot like a drill that we do. Oh, we do the same drill, he says. And we go on and on. And he started talking about the technology aspect and how great it is. He says, but, you know, I've learned you, you've got to just put everything in. It's got, a, it's got a place. But the most important thing you do, you're in the people business and you're dealing with people and trying to uh, – mesh all of that and i think those are the coaches who are probably the most brilliant who really can understand how to continue to coach with their great feel and their empathy and their knowledge but add what matters to each kid and maybe to some kids their exit velos are something you really focus on but maybe to some it isn't those are the brilliant coaches Mm. how cool is that experience oh my gosh chris bryant is like dream swing like whenever i you know try to talk to an athlete through something. I'm like, Hey, go watch Chris Bryant. Go watch his load. Go watch his hands. You know, yeah. watch how, how much he's in his legs. Like, mm, I love Chris Bryant. And he's also very attractive in my eyes too. So even better, <laughs> but that is just so neat. And it's, it's so cool to be able to see, you know, the elite of the elite in MLB, which obviously are getting paid astronomical amount of money to do what they do. It's like, they're just, they're just, they're in the people business, you know, like that's, that's in the back of mind the entire time. Like, yeah, like, here's this new tool. Great. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, all right, let's move to the next one. I think that's just really neat to be able to see and hear that story. I mean, I'm sure you were just soaking it in like a sponge. Um, but how flipping cool is that? That's awesome. It, you know, it, it definitely resonated with me. And, uh, you know, I've always felt that pe- I'm more of a people person than I'm a tactician. And, a, you know, to me, I played in a simple time. You know, we played with the white ball. I mean, I... I started with wooden bat. My colleague was Mary Nutter. I played ball with Mary Nutter. Wow. And um, she was our number two hitter. I always tease her. She was a lefty. I said, you were the world's slowest slapper. And um, But she used a wooden bat well as to restart getting aluminum bats. And I used a 30-ounce Dudley bat. Still have it in my garage. I bring it out every now and then. Just, my kids just swing it. And they just look at me like I have four heads. It, it was a, you know, we didn't wear helmets. The ball got stopped by about third or fourth inning, and the games were one to nothing, or maybe two to one. And every now and then, you know, I'd get a big hit and be four to one. But you know, the ERA back then were point three, point four. Mm-hmm. I mean, pitching was, and it was beyond dominant, beyond dominant. So uh, I think that's where the game has changed as well. I mean, we made it more offensive. We moved the mound back. We changed the ball. We changed the bats. Changed the technology, and now look what we have. It's nuts. I mean, you hit a ball hard, it goes over the fence. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's nuts. So I, I think it is crazy. Easily move the field, the fences to 230 at, in the college game. And that would make it a home run would be more legit. And we'd have a lot more extra base hits. 
And uh, it, I think I think we're ready for it. The problem is it'd be pretty hard to change a bunch of stadiums, you know. Oh, I know. I, I think that our college game would thrive with that, personally. Yeah, it would just I, be another challenge. Oh, yeah. I'm in. The, the game would be different. Look, you know, it's how they play international ball, so it's a little bit different game. Yeah, but then do you add the crow hop? <laughs> like, there's, like, all these other already, things. <clears throat> I, I think we already added it. I bought enough crow hopping to think it's legal mm-hmm. to a degree. We don't call it anyway. Right. Yeah, the international game is, is wild, but we I think there is a lot we can learn from it as well. But then you have trouble, you know, with the Northwesterns. Like, if they back up any further, they're in a building. <laughs> like, where's... <laughs> building. No problem. Yeah, just, just move the building back. Easy. Back in baseball's field. So we're already hitting it into baseball's field. So, you know. But yeah, yeah those are definite issues. I recognize that. So uh, I'm not going to be in that committee. <laughs> no, we can just talk about it, which I love. Yeah. One quick little announcement here. We've talked about it the past few weeks, but When the Cleats Come Off has its own merch now. And me and my team are so excited to let you know about it. We have new hats, crew necks, which is perfect timing for fall, tanks, tees with our sign off. Stay awkward, stay humble, keep smiling. You love that sign off. There's your tee. I just sent one out to Arby Monroe um, and so much more. And if you want 10% off your order of when the cleats come off merch, all you have to do is type in podcast 10 with the numbers one zero at the end to get 10% off your order podcast 10 at checkout. And if you head to www.ashleybtraining.com, don't forget the www part. You can head to our store and see all of the cool things that we have. Oh, yeah. And did I mention we have mugs? Pretty excited about the mug. So if you're interested in some of the gear, head to www.ashleybtraining.com and type in podcast 10. Remember, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your next order. All right, let's head back to the episode. Now, with all the success that you've had, I mean, I was there on the game where you broke the record or the tied the record for the most wins in NCAA. And you said this one thing that really stuck out to me. You're like, I didn't do a thing. It was my players. It was my staff. Like, those are the people who got the stat to be where it is, which your humility is amazing. Like, I, it's one of those things where, you know, we can always get better at it. But I just am in awe of how you carry yourself. But how do you? How are you able to separate yourself from your players and like when they have success? Like I think, because a lot of I see a lot of coaches, frankly, in travel ball or wherever I am now, it's it's like coaches are claiming that's my kid, that's my athlete, right? But I feel like you don't do that. How are you able to balance that? Well, you know, I've uh, to quote Sue Enquist, we're just servants of the program. When you're the head coach, I'm here to serve everybody in the program, really. And um, they're not here to serve me. You know, I think that of administrations, you know, athletic directors, assistant athletic directors, administrators, they're here to serve the coaches so the coaches can serve the players. And uh, my job is to, you come to play at Michigan and our number one priority is to, to make Michigan great. And that's why we brought you. And I tell people that in the process, you are part of that. Be a part of that. And um doesn't mean they always understand what that, looks like and feels like but um and then the other thing we're here to do is help you achieve 
success, which is help you go from here to there to there to there in all aspects, not just in softball. But I mean, we, we help serve every aspect of your life, whether it's learning how to go to college and learning how to navigate the rigors of a great academic institution and how to make, keep you on track to get your degree because you, you're not leaving Michigan without a degree. I'll chase you around the world to make sure you finish that degree. You know, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve the students. And, you know, we have, we have a big job, you know, we're all, we're all charged with whether we do well or when we don't do well. And we take that pretty seriously. But I think, I mean, I, in 2005, I, I remember vividly, like, man, I just got to stay out of these guys' way. They they are on a mission. They were on a mission. It was a player-driven team. And I've had several player-driven teams. Because when the coach has to drive the team, that means I own the success. Now, I take success seriously. I mean, I never walk mm-hmm. into that. I don't want to win that game. And after the game, and we don't, I'm like, what could we have done better? And certainly, what could we have done better with our players? But uh you really want a team that owns their own success. As a player, as a hitter, you want to be better. I want you to be better. I want every player to be better. But unless you want to be better and understand what it takes and are willing to do what it takes versus make an excuse, well, you know, I didn't have time to train. I had a test. Or I just, you know, you, there's always reasons why you can't do something. Powering those kids is helping them take their success and of our team success. But the best teams I've ever had, I, I talk at seminars and I say, Look in the dugout and you see those kids who aren't necessarily playing in the game, but they have a role. Maybe they're the bullpen catcher. Maybe they're the, the, the third pitcher in line of the day. Maybe they are a pinch runner or maybe they're a practice player. And they're in that dugout going, they're, they're playing every pitch. They play every pitch. It's not just about cheering and doing funny things with props. It's about playing every pitch. Like the coaches, we play every pitch. And those are the best teams. That's what we're looking for to create that's the culture as you talk about but um I, i'm here to help you be great when you attain it i'm i'm happy for you you put in the work and you owned it and hopefully i can help teach you some of that i'm here to help educate i feel like i'm still number one i majored in education and i'm i'm an educator that's incredible and you know i'm sure you've called some athletes off the bench that were locked in every single pitch and they come in and they get the job done and there's nothing like seeing a kid who maybe didn't get the start but was so mentally and physically prepared for their moment and they shined there. Well, those are the kids, you know, I, I look at some of the kids who, who worked their way through the system and they didn't start as fresh. Maybe they got to pinch hit or got to pinch run. That's normal. I don't care who you are. You come in, everybody comes in and they're on a different path and their journey is going to be different. And some kids come in and light up the world, you know, and are all American their freshman year. And some kids have to work their way into it. And the kids that keep their nose down and keep striving for what they want are the kids who will make that, who can really achieve the success they're looking for, which is to get to play. Everybody wants to play. I want to win. My job is to put every team we have, every time we walk on the field, to put us in the best position to win the game. And that might be even like, well, we're going to decide how to do the pitching rotation because how are we going to win the tournament? Or how are we going to, it's it's not just a one-game thing always, you know, in myopic fashion. You know, I've seen kids go from pinch rolls to starting. And our number four hitter in the 2015 National Championship Series, Kelsey Susala, she, she didn't start her freshman year or her sophomore year. 
she had pinch rolls and she was she was a hitter i'm like this kid's going to be a hitter you've got to get bigger you've got to get stronger you've got to get your barrel to the front i mean she was just lagging mm-hmm. slightly the impact was just not there in her junior year she figured it out and she she had worked really hard and she had lifted hard all summer and she had put on muscle and more than anything she didn't complain and keep blaming others for her lack of playing time or her lack of success she didn't she might have gotten a moment here and there but in general that kid just stayed out kept working kept working and keeping her goal in front of her because people look at the obstacles too often what all this is in my way and when they start saying when you hear kids say well the coach is in my way i'm gonna tell you they are letting the coach own their success that's so well said. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of youth players that grow up to play at universities like yours. And I think a big thing that's holding them back is that they're so worried about what that at-bat's going to mean for the coach. Like, oh, my gosh, am I going to sit the bench now? Or, oh, my gosh, am I going to get an earful on the, on the car ride home with dad? And they worry so much about other people that they're lacking that foundational piece of owning your game. Yeah. Like if, if you own your game, you have a bad game, then you're not going to be afraid to talk about it. Maybe you need to eat before we start talking about it, which Sue Inquist talked about on her episode. Like, hey, like maybe just like your, your athlete's hungry and tired. Probably not the conversation to have about the game, but like, but the athletes that kind of own it and they're like, okay, dad, what'd you see with my barrel? Like, was I late? Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it. Those are the athletes that find the most growth, I feel like, because they've owned it. And they're yeah. not shamed by it. Your success, you're in podcasting now. You know, you're <laughs> in the softball industry. And your success is on you. It's not on anybody else. And it's no different when you're a college athlete. Your success is on you. Nobody else owns it. You have a ton of assistance. You have nutritionists, strength and conditioning, academic support, a ton of coaches who have a lot of knowledge. How much do you really help, help yourself? You know, yeah. help yourself. And we can't get anywhere we, we want to get without help, which is another aspect of it all, obviously. But it's so true. Like, your success is on you. And those people around you, they might blame themselves for not getting you to where you wanted to be. But all in all, it's on you. Always. Period. End of story. Yeah. Dang. It is. When you accept that, you'll keep, your, you, you, you keep the excuses out of the way. I, I hear a lot of excuses from kids. And they're young. They're young, they're immature, and they don't have the experience that I have. And I'm here to help you find that. Um, but they just don't understand that this aspect. And I think that is where, as you work with the parents of the kids that you work with, it can be helpful for them to realize how that can really get in a kid's way. And when parents put these high expectations on them and parents put all the parents of the freshmen are like, oh, you're going to go in there, you're going to start, you're going to be an impact, you're going to, everybody's going to know your name. And it's an unrealistic expectation that is, that kids, they don't want to let their parents down. First and foremost, their loyalty is to their parents. Uh, I would never question that. But it can get in their way big time. And I've seen many a kid who took years to develop because that was in their way the whole time. The comparison factor, the why are other kids getting a chance, and they're worried about things that they don't control. They don't control if I don't like your at bat and decide to hit somebody else. And I, I mean... I was playing golf the other day thinking about, wow, I'm really focused on the outcome here. I am really focused on the outcome. I got to get off the outcome and get back to my process. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it happens to everybody. But, um, you know, that's, uh, it, I'd like the parents to get more on board with what are we trying to accomplish 
is my daughter helping? And really, the, the biggest thing is when kids come and say, you know, I, I want to play more, they really, the, the best answer is, well, then play better. Then play better. Improve more. They said that they always tell kids, if they have the guts to come in, I say, you need to do that. You need to be fielding more than 60% of the balls at practice. You know, we, we're trying to field 97% as a team. So 97% of the balls or 95% of your middle infield. This is what we're striving for. Those are things that will help get you on the field. Try to give them some hard data. Because a lot of it is, well, I just feel like, I feel like I, feelings are not fact. Feelings are, I mean, nobody, nobody's in charge of your feelings but yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we're talking about young people who have not been through, they've all come from being the most successful in their high schools and in their programs because that's why they're at our place or that's why they're at you know your place that's why they get to go to college and then they get to heart and that's really what defines you in my mind how you handle adversity is really the defining mark of you as a person not how you when it's sunny and 70 as they say it's when Mm -hmm. it's it's not going your way how do you handle it and do you keep when you fall down you keep getting back up Could you just lay there and, you know, feel bad for yourself or blame somebody else? I've seen both. Yeah. I can are successful. I think we definitely needed to talk about that because, you know, most athletes that are going to play at a high level school, they're they're hitting six hundred, like six fifty in their high school, right? And that's just that's just what it is. But you're not gonna do that when you're challenged in this way with like a faster game, faster pitching hitters that are hitting it harder. Like it's just not going to work that way. And once we learn how to let go and get back to like, what is it that I, and this is where I do talk a lot about feel with my hitters. Like what did it feel like to truly drive that ball to opposite field and hit that gap? So, and obviously emotions aside. Yeah. No question. I I like to give kids drills that help them feel, Mm -hmm. feel what they're doing as opposed to, Tell them how to do it, which I'm really yeah. famous for. But uh, girl, what do you feel? Oh, I feel that. Okay, what do you feel? I'm talking about when kids come in, they say, oh, I just feel like you, you know, you like Ashley better than you like me. And I just feel like, uh, you know, I never get a chance, you know. And mm-hmm. like, Yeah, that feel. Mm-hmm. Those aren't facts. Feelings, you know, no. so that's referred to that. Yeah, no- that's like, yeah, that's like negative thoughts. Like the, the ones that creep into your mind, like I suck at softball. Well, obviously that's not true. That's, that's a myth that your mind is making up. But no, I totally get that. And I think one thing that Scott Burkhart, who he, he came on my podcast once and because of how great it went, he was like, I need my own podcast now. I got so much to say. But I thought something that he did a great job of with me, and I'm sure he did it with my two other sisters who were playing college sports, was he let go. Like as soon as we went to school, my coaches had me. And as soon as I would come home from school, it would be, let's talk about what you're learning, right? And let's do those things in in the winter, in off season, to try to make sure that you're doing the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. But he also was huge on just like making the most of every opportunity you have. Make the most of every opportunity you're given. And with that as my mindset, you know, I didn't walk in and was a starter, but I di- I was a starter, you know, once season started in spring. And I truly believe that was because my dad wasn't talking to me about like, ooh, do you think you're going to start this week? Ooh, how are you hitting this week? No, he just let me be. And when I had things to ask or talk about, I'd call him. But it, he let it, he let me take ownership of it all. And I think that's how I was able to grow is like, it didn't have dad chirping in my ear over and over. 
like, hey, how's this going? How's this going? Even though I'm sure he was like dying to know what we were doing at practice. But he let me lead this. And I think that's how I was able to thrive and how my other sisters are able to thrive in their own game. But shout out Scott Burkhart for, for teaching us that one. Well, I mean, I got a chance to um, coach your sister. I didn't really have to coach her. Um, <laughs> it was so easy to just, you know, if you have a conversation with and give, give a suggestion, I, I suggest you try this. Okay. But I do, I mean, I can tell when the kid's been parenting well. And um, I give a shout out to Scott Burkhardt too, because clearly um, that is really the best advice you can give families is don't talk to them about their softball. Let them deal with their softball. It's now their own experience. And I know you've been a big part of it, but now you're their big support system. And being a fan means you support whatever goes on. And understand what we're trying to do at this level. And um, it's a journey. It's an experience. And uh, how your influence, the parent's influence on their kids is the single defining factor for how they're going to handle their college experience. Mm -hmm. Like your parents are your world. You care. You care about what they think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. How would you advise then parents to help prime their kids so they're ready for you a little bit more? Because I obviously can speak on my own experience, but I, I would love to hear how you would hope parents would let or show their athletes how to own their game prior to getting to school. Well, I mean, those are conversations that and I think I alluded to earlier. You know, we try to have in the recruiting process, and especially when they get to campus, we typically meet with the freshman parents because they've never been through the system. And now every parent has met with us uh, when they've come to campus. Um, And I do, I talk about the things that are difficult for them and, um, you know, how they have to own their success as a, let the kids own their academic success and that we're here to help them. We don't want them to fall in holes. I really, I advise parents, the one time I want you to call me, I want you to contact me if you ever have any concerns about their health or their well-being. You feel a kid is abnormally having struggles, we want you to call us. But when it comes to their softball, I'm going to treat those kids like an adult, and I'm going to deal with them one-on-one. And I've had a number of parents who, of course, want to call and talk about it, and because they're, well, she's she's intimidated, doesn't want to talk to you. She needs to. It's part of the journey. It's part of her growing experience to be able to come in and discuss with the adult the hard questions. And that's where you can be supportive of them. And that's how you support the program. Until we try to have those conversations, but I I definitely can say that some parents are great at it. And some parents definitely, it's harder for them to let go or to see, because out of a freshman class, you're going to have a number of them who have, the journey isn't easy. Some of them are going to have journeys that appear easy, but in general, you're going to have an assortment of kids. And I've had kids who were the most highly recruited who fared the worst their first year or two. Now I've had kids who maybe you recruited to walk on or so forth and they they flourished. So some of it's just keeping the expectation to the simple things as I've read along the way. Are you a good teammate? Are you working as hard as you can? And does the coach ever tell you you can work harder? And if she does, are you are you trying to meet those standards? And And making sure that your process with them is, you know, whether you play or not, we love you and you've worked really hard for this. And now you're going to learn to work at a new level. That's what college is. College is in high school, not in athletics and not in academics. It's supposed to be harder. And um, learning as they they get better at that, to be proud of your kid when she overcomes the hard. And even if it's, you know what, nobody aspires to be a pinch runner. But that pinch runner, when we put him in the game, 
is the most important player in the game, sometimes of the whole game. And if they score the winning run, I mean, they persevered through what was hard because they didn't want to be a pinch runner to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I told her this in recent years. I said, if you never embrace the role you have, you're a pinch runner right now. I know you want to start. I know it's, you didn't come here to be the pinch runner. But if you don't embrace it and be the best you can be, why do you think you're ever going to get promoted to starter? And that's the same in the corporate world. If you don't embrace that you're a middle manager because you want to run the company, you won't be good at it. You won't be nearly as good at it as if once you embrace it, and I'm like, I'm going to be the best middle manager there is. I'm going to be the best role player I can. That's how you get into the next level. That's the only mm-hmm. way. You, that is the most valuable life lesson that we can teach. We teach that in athletics every day. Those who learn it are the ones who excel. I love how the phone chimed right when we were hitting that beat. Like that, that was, wow. I, we could end this here, but of course we can't because when I asked you to come on, I asked you what you wanted to talk about and you're like, Title Nine, Title Nine. I need to talk about this. Yes, that just happened. I got to play against Hutch and her teams so many times while I was at Purdue. And every time I played her, I thought she was this intimidating and scary human. And here we are having this fun, loving conversation about the growth of the game and how much we love it and how much we care for the athletes that are up and coming going into college. And especially I loved how she talked about she's grooming her athletes for the real world after college. I love Carol Hutchins. I love Hutch. This is so fun. And I'm so excited to bring you a whole nother side of Hutch that we didn't even get into today. We dive into Title IX, how it's originated, and Hutch's complete journey through Title IX and when it started to where we are now. From the good, the bad, the ugly, we're going to talk about it all. Also, what we need to know about Title IX, things that maybe you didn't know about. Title IX is essentially the equality between men's and women's sports. And yes, we've come a long way since it began, but it was not easy at the beginning. So Hutch goes into a lot of detail there. I also love how we end with our five to thrive. I ask her some fun questions. One of them being, what's a hard lesson the game has taught you? Don't want to miss that one. And also what her favorite sports movie is. It's such a good answer. So excited to have you guys here this week. Let me know on social media, what was your favorite part? That's some of my favorite things is to see what you are learning. And I love engaging with listeners as much as I can. So you can write a review and tell me about what you thought of it, or just head to socials. You can find all of the social media stuff that you need to know inside the show notes of this episode. So tag me tag Michigan softball. I would love to hear what you gained from this conversation. I gained a lot. And don't forget to tune in next week for the next conversation with Hutch. And of course, don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. See you next week.